there, I'm Mike Lesseter, editor and publisher of Farm Equipment. Welcome to today's podcast. Did you know that you're making history today? Well, you are. This is the first official episode of our new Farm Equipment podcast series titled, How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. They come in there and throw a bunch of figures out at me and they say, you don't have any money and you ought to get out while you can get out. And after an hour long, have them trying to convince me why I couldn't make it. And I looked at that senior partner. I said, you know what? You've been to school too long. You don't understand what we got to offer here. All you're looking at is dollars and cents. To launch this series, we chose the story of Don Landall of Landall Corporation. Certainly one of the living legends of farm equipment business. Don took time out during a recent farm show to talk about a f- the company he created, which is now the largest independent and family-owned equipment manufacturer in North America, and how he launched it from the most meager of beginnings in 1963 as a three-man welding shop. First, a few words about Landall Corp, which is headquartered in Marysville, Kansas, and still owned and operated by the man who started it all, Don Landall. The ag world knows them for their tillage tools, grain drills, and seeders, but they have four other divisions as well. Besides farm equipment, they're also involved in construction, forklifts, trailers, and OEM and government work. Now in its 54th year, the company has nearly 800 employees, almost 900,000 square feet of facility, and ships products to 39 different countries. Before we cut over to Don, I want to personally thank our sponsor who made this dream of mine to capture these stories possible. Our sponsor for the series is GKN, a global supplier of integrated powertrain components, systems, and solutions. And I've known Jan Fasten at GKN as long as I have Don from my very first Farm Equipment Manufacturers Association meeting in Florida. That was 26 meetings ago. So thanks to GKN for backing this pet project so we could bring it out to you and other listeners everywhere. You can learn more about GKN and their role in the farm machinery space at www.gkn.com. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to the series for free and get automatic updates on the next episodes. You can do that at iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. In today's podcast, you're going to hear a candid, sit-down conversation with Don from the Farm Show as he reflects on the past 54 years. I've known Don for many years now, had the pleasure of celebrating his 50th anniversary with 100-some guests in a personally-led and hours-long factory tour that Don led us on a few years back. I learned a number of new things from our one-on-one, and I'm sure you will too. Landall is a great American success story, and I guarantee that the conversation that follows, that is if you enjoy stories of bootstrapping and sweat equity in business like I do, will be worth every minute of your time. So here we go, our first official installment of How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. Thanks for joining us today here, Don. Pleasure to be doing this with you. I know we, uh, you celebrated a major anniversary a couple of years ago, which was really a neat thing to be part of. Right off the bat, you did something at that event that I'd never seen done before. When you had all the guests introduce themselves and then you told a story about everybody in the room. And it was really cool, really special for all of us. And I wanted to ask you, how did you decide to do that to mark the occasion? Well, I think that's something we do pretty much almost daily or whenever the time occurs. I take a lot of pride in in, uh, recognizing the people that have helped me over the years or that I've got thoughts and ideas from over the years. So uh, that was just kind of a continuation of that. I guess to to contrast it today, how big Landall is for someone who maybe isn't familiar with you? Well, we started out with, you know, like 12,500 square foot or something like that. And uh, today we, we have a little over 900,000 square feet. Yeah. Uh, somewhat, you know, you get to that size, you kind of qu- quit counting. I mean, you yeah. know, you do what you got to do, but, yeah. uh, but it's, it's real close to what it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's no farm boy. Well, you know, we're beyond a 20 acre mark under roof. And, mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and I've chosen 
as much as possible to always stay local. Uh, you know, my good friend uh, Roy Applequist and some of them did well by going out and obtaining other areas, mm-hmm. uh, local businesses. But uh, but I've tried to always stay in the area other than uh, than when we went to Beloit. So uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, but the brilliant product line we brought all back to Marysville and and that mm-hmm. uh, seems to be uh, more manageable that way. Yeah. But uh, we do have 29 employees out of Beloit, I think, right now. So, you were from a, a very young age. You were kind of destined to be doing what you're you're doing. It. You had some stories about uh, what you played with with a kid before you had power out right. on the farm, right? Right. Well, we. Uh, I always give my folks a lot of credit being the oldest boy of eight children. Uh, but uh, they graduated me from Tinker Toys to an erector set at the age of seven. Never stopped building since that time, I guess. Mm-hmm. So uh, from a, a young age, you were engineering, designing, putting things together. Correct? Sure. I, we had a born and raised on, on the uh, homesteaded family farm. And then uh, dad had uh, three brothers and sisters and uh, four families. We had 22 uh, first cousins lived on a land within a mile of each other. Oh, wow. So uh, we grew up a big family, but being the uh, old homesteaded farm, well, that's where Grandpa had a nice shop, and uh, and so the other brothers and sisters would come over there, to, and their husbands whatever, uh, would come over there to get maintenance and repairs done. So that's how we, you know, been doing maintenance and repairs since I was a little kid, you know, right. or alongside a Grandpa or Dad. Mm-hmm. And you were started commercially helping other farmers when you were in high school, correct? Yes, yeah, we. Uh, you know, same. You know, didn't have no money. You know, much. We didn't know. You know, we didn't think of it as being poor. But uh, yeah, we went to Grandpa's farm and sawed down some trees and and uh, you know, run them through a sawmill and, and build a shop when I was a sophomore in high school to uh, start welding for the neighbors and mm-hmm. and uh, of course that uh, just kept moving forward from mm-hmm. there. Were you taught to weld on the farm or in, in school? No, we didn't. Uh, I, I learned to weld, uh, you know, started welding as a, uh, you know, I had that desire, but until uh, I was a freshman in vocational ag, it, it, why, uh, that's where I got my start. And, right. And uh, we had a teacher that wasn't overly enthused about shop. You know, he was a, a World War II veteran, but uh, but he uh, he recognized some of my abilities and pretty much turned me loose. And my senior year, I actually taught uh, hands-on welding at, at, through a study hall, you know, from oh, yeah. 11 to 12. So. So I've been teaching people to weld pretty much a lifetime. So 63 was when you actually started the company, is that correct? Yes, Mm -hmm. that's when we bought the welding shop. If we back up a few years to high school age, you had, I remember you saying that you were planning on going into the military outside of high school, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah. You know, early spring, I enlisted into the uh, Air Force. And uh, those days, of course, everyone had a military service to, uh, to fulfill. And I wanted to get that out of the way. Plus, we didn't have trade schools. You know, they were very elite those days. They're, you know, I'm not saying, but uh, so that was a, a means of uh, getting into the trade and into the, the production business. And, and uh, so that's the good and the bad. Uh, I, uh, I graduated from high school on Tuesday and went to the Air Force on Sunday and failed my physical on Monday. So Tuesday, I was back home, ready to continue my life. And from from there you went to a dealership? Yes, uh, International Harvester dealership and uh, they were family friends as well in my hometown of Hanover and, and they called it Hanover Implement and Manufacturing. They did a lot of shop work and, and they got started building some playground equipment and then uh, picnic tables and then we uh, built truck hoist and trailer hoist both back when the ear corn days were mm-hmm. big thing. So how many years were you at the, the dealership before you went out on your own? Well, about two and a half years. And uh, the day that President Kennedy was assassinated, uh, November 22nd, 1963, well, I was sitting in the car with a, with a senior welder at Bruno's, and uh, he, uh, he, he was 30 years older than I, and was a World War II vet as well. And uh, he, he seen the opportunity to buy this welding shop but he was uh, looking for a partner. And uh, having worked with him for two and a half years, why he chose me to go in partnership with him. I look back at that, I mean, for years now, I talk to different groups is, you know, generate, recognize, and take advantage of your opportunities. 
and, and being the youngest one in the shop, and yet I was chosen as his partner. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no money, uh, you know, of any amount. So uh, he said, well, that's no problem. I'll pay cash for my half, and, and you can borrow against my half. And then uh, we got ready to borrow the money. I wasn't 21 yet, so I had to borrow my half under his name and make his payment. So, so it was a, an opportunity uh, that he gave me. And uh, obviously, uh, it all worked out well. And two and a half years later, I got an opportunity to go back to the railroad and on uh, Monday, and I'm going. And so I'm going to leave you with the shop and, and sell you my half. Uh, and since I had no ability yet to borrow enough money because we'd grown the business some, so he uh, he loaned me the money to buy buy his oh. second half out. So yeah. that's how I got on my own and, and uh, been on my own ever since. Yeah, yeah. great story. So at, at that time, was that, that welding shop was a, a job shop type operation or were you specializing in certain products? Well, we were welding, radiator, and blacksmith shop. Okay. And uh, that's what I like to... Uh, think of as my early diversification you know as well as the, the implement company we worked with previously and of course all the farmers in rural kansas are pretty diversified especially eastern kansas so diversification is a big big word in, in my vocabulary and it's worked for us many many times so yes. and then uh, as a, a camper factory had moved into town and i got started uh, building frames for for campers was kind of the first uh, contract job I had, mm -hmm. uh, and my partner was still with me at that time. Okay. You know, and that's something uh, we're going through. You know, right now, a major drought in Kansas, and that. But having been through the dirty thirties, and he was with his mother and dad when the sheriff took them off the farm. So, so I've heard about the dirty thirties and that. Uh, you yeah. know, as a kid, and, and uh, you know, we had the dirty thirties, we've had the eighties, and mm -hmm. you know, we've had some challenging times since. So, right. that's a lot to be learned from that. Yeah. What were the first five years like for the business, your, well, your early days? My first product with my own name on it was a pickup slide-in stock rack. And uh, that was a you know a good good product. You know, we had about inch square tube and some inch and a quarter angle iron, and that was my bill of material with a few bolts. So that, uh, that gave me a real opportunity to get my name out and uh, to fill in the job shop business has, has always been that way and probably always will be. You have uh, peaks and valleys almost daily or weekly or whatever. So uh, that was filling in my peaks and valleys. And uh, so I got started with that. That was something you could sell locally, so lots of them. That was my first experience. We weren't the first people in the business, but we were the first people with a high quality product. Mm -hmm. And that's when the style side pickups and stuff were first coming out. And, People, people wanted something that looked nice in their new pickup, and uh, we got started with quality, which uh, we've never got away from. Mm -hmm. and then I, I got fortunate. The, uh, the feed companies came along with a liquid supplement, and liquid supplement was a nitrate-based molasses. And in order to sell their product, they had to have a container to put it in with lick, lick wheels on it. Those days, uh, everybody had you know, livestock on the farm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so they'd put that on a farm, fill that liquid feeder up, and that cow would lick that wheel and kind of like a human taking uh, salt and pepper, you know, they, they'd get their fill of it. You, you know, if they drank it, they'd kill them. So you had to have a quality product they couldn't get into. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got started with a local uh, elevator. They were buying my products, you know, as a container to put their product in. Mm. And then we got with uh, Neutrino Feeds, and then we got on the uh, national circuit in Omaha. They had their national convention in Omaha. And we ended up taking that product as far as uh, into Canada. So we, we built thousands of those. But that was a real means of, of uh, a cash income. No terms, no sales commissions, you know. Mm -hmm. They were uh, just taking care of what a quality product to put their product in to, to make their product look good. So mm -hmm. so those those were good times. Yeah, yeah. That was all in that five-year yeah, first five yeah, year period. Yeah, a little, a little longer. Yeah, we got started shipping, but like everything, it had a little bit of seasonality to it. And then uh, a company, you know, with the bigger tractors, and we, what I'm referring to in the 60s is bigger tractors, 4020s and 560s. Why well, yeah, the old diamond toolbars, this solid piece of steel, was still a very popular product, and we're just 30 miles down the road from Dempster, mm -hmm. and they were they were very sound manufacturing company that built a lot of product for Ford and uh, Massey Ferguson and Ferguson and you know in the old two row days especially some four row, but people started tearing up their product and they had no desire to uh, 
to do better. And uh, their sales manager decided uh, he had the dual tool bar concept. And uh, he wanted to get, get in and start building a dual tool bar. And uh, he didn't have no money either. So, so together why we got started building tool bars and he would finish and sell them, market them. Cool. And that's where, the, in 68, that's where the chisel plow come from is an anhydrous ammonia bar that we in, uh, beefed up and spread mm -hmm. out and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. At that time, when you went out there, you had Landau tillage chisel plow out yeah. at that yeah, time? Yeah, uh, one of my local friends, uh, he wanted a chisel plow. So uh, he came in and, and we were, he was a, he's a great, great entrepreneur and a farmer, but uh, we built the first chisel plow and then uh, uh, I went to the, the Nebraska the fair and, and found my distributor, you know, just a show uh, you know, those days uh, state fairs were big, especially mm -hmm. Nebraska had a great state fair. And I went through those, trying to find somebody that might be able to sell my product. And I picked a distributor out of Kansas City. And uh, at the time, they were just losing their uh, Fox Chopper line. And they were looking for uh, to get into some tillage. They'd been all hay equipment pretty much. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, got in with them. And then, you know, working the shows with them, that gave me uh, opportunity to get to know fellow manufacturing salespeople. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then, they, you know, those people say, hey, you know, you need more than one distributor. I would recommend you go here. I'd recommend you go there. I'll introduce you. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how I got started in the, in the network. You know, then, of course, I, uh, they got me into FEMA, the Farm Equipment Manufacturers Association. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been a big, big supporter of FEMA ever since because it it's been a great part of, of my life as far as enhancing and and finding good friends and, yeah. and uh, quality manufacturers. And was that chisel plow the moment where you kind of really turned the corner in ag, or was, or was there some other one that you would call that defining moment? Well, uh, the chisel plow definitely, and in, in, um, the main reason, uh, that's an easy answer, is uh, in 1974, 73 actually, uh, case come to us. That's when, you know, people couldn't build enough farm equipment. At the time, Case had, a, I think, 152 company stores, and uh, they were looking for somebody to build a chisel for their company stores without the Case name on it. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, wanted a, not necessarily an expensive, but a, a quality product. And uh, so they, uh, they came, for them came to, uh, I, I'm not sure how I heard about it at that time, but anyway, I got on, I chased it down, and. Mm -hmm. uh, had four people come down and, and uh, from Case and, and I always remember and I'll, you know somewhat I didn't have an ear engineer on st at that time I was only in mm -hmm. engineering part of our company so uh, the engineer voted against letting me build their product and the other three uh, liked their enthusiasm so uh, they, they uh, went with me on on that enthusiasm and then uh, that uh, that went well so then they let me build their their pool type. Uh, unit and they said, hey, you know, your quality is good enough. We're going to put the case name on it. We're not going to just put Liftmaster, whatever the uh, name was. So then I built that product. Then that's when the uh, subsoiler, the V plows came out, and they said, hey, you know, we want to we want to sell that V plow. Then the colder chisels come out, you know, and we call ours a soil master. Uh, you know, Glencoe kind of led that with the soil saver, but uh, so they came and. And uh, they said, we, we want to sell that product as well. Mm -hmm. And selling through distributors, that gave me an opportunity, uh, you know, discount-wise and everything, to work with, with the majors. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were building four products for the case company. You know, in good old days, getting orders by the box full. And then, uh, you know, for us, it was major. And then uh, when the case IH merger come along, uh, like 14 years later, well, that's when we lost it. You know, International had the largest tillage plant in the world up in, yeah. in Hamilton, Ontario. So there, it, it wasn't because of any feelings or it's just part of life. And, and that's what you always, we get dealt with from day to day. And sometimes they're the good parts and some of the negative parts. I imagine that opportunity, it, it made you a major player in ground engaging equipment right there. And must have, that. Was that the first significant manufacturing investment that you were making in your facilities? Yeah, yeah, over and above, you know, our, our chisel plows and that for the local people. And then during that time, uh, we were, uh, the case, case had a big showing in 76 in, uh, down in McAllen, Texas. 
And uh, so we had our products down, down there, and they, they had dealers brought them in for about a month. And uh, that's, that's where I met Jerry Nussbaum, and, and uh, he was with Glencoe, and they were building products. And, and the main reason we were building products is uh, they didn't have adequate supply from Glencoe. And then uh, uh, after we got home a couple months, and the relationship we built working that show with Jerry, said, I'd rather work for you than than my current company, so uh, I hired Jerry, and, and that's when we started getting direct into our distributors on a pretty heavy basis. You know, those days distributors were big. My early days, you know, our bar chisel would get up to 40 on a semi load. You know, today we get one piece or two yeah. pieces. So times have totally changed. You know, the distributorship, and, and so that definitely had to grow over the years. Uh, the, you know, what worked once didn't doesn't always work. So you know, and. You know, I'm big theory and, you know, walk before you run them, you know, in many different directions. You want to go at it that way. Yeah. Is the, the, the company founder and the design engineering mind behind the company, were you also tasked with the sales end in those early days? You know, yes. That was, I was sales end and, and purchasing. And until till 1970, you know, the first 11 years, I was everything. I was a buyer, the, the plant manager, the, you know, the engineer, the sales, but uh, but working with distributors, that was a little easier than you know, dealer to dealer, mm -hmm. because uh, you you made the major shows and did your major learning curve or training was done at the, the major shows. You know, we made those days. Everybody had a great state fair, pretty much, and, mm -hmm. and then we had the, the farm progress, and and uh, then we had. Uh, 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 M and W had a farm show then, mm -hmm. and uh, Elmo Miners was it turned out to be a great, great friend. And, and uh, but uh, the first uh, first two implement trailers I, sh I uh, sold at the uh, M and W farm show. Uh, Elmo bought personally. Oh yeah. He bought every year. He would sell all the products that he bought off his farm show and use them for a year to free farmers land and then. And then uh, buy new, so uh, so he was a, a great help in getting the, the trailer side done, and 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 the, where that what made that so popular is uh, that's when everybody if you sold a tractor you sold a moldboard plow, and if you sold a moldboard plow and a tractor to go out and demonstrate nobody had any means of hauling it, with our uh, traveling axle low angle tilt with our wheels going completely to the rear to get the payload spread out. Uh, it was a perfect answer, mm -hmm. so uh, so that would played a big big part in, in getting the trailer successful. Mm -hmm. When was it when was it clear in your mind that um, you had this purchased this small business with your partner and we're doing jobbing operation? When was it, it was clear to you that you were guys were going to become a major player in ag equipment? You know, I, I'm a, I'm big I'm a real big believer of goals. But in, in my position, I, I feel it's very strong, or I always recommend the tours and that we give that uh, set, set yourself attainable goals. And if you can attain that goal and set another goal, and, and you know, you continually uh, climb the ladder. That's uh, the theory I've used. And uh, at that time, uh, Gilmore Tadji was uh, doing very well down the road from us. And uh, their uh, plant manager was a married to a first cousin, so I had access to, to their shop and his knowledge after hours and, and uh, uh, see the mistakes and, and, the, and the proper things they did right and wrong. And, and, uh, and at that time, I guess to answer your question, uh, Gilmore Tadji had 200 people. And I said, man, someday I'd like to have 200 people. And, mm -hmm. and so that was a, a great incentive. Yeah. So I'd say he's done pretty well there and blew past that dream of 200 employees. Landau has almost 800 employees today and nearly 900,000 feet of manufacturing space. We'll get back to the conversation with Don in a moment, but I did want to again thank GKN for sponsoring this program and supporting me in these interviews and travels across the country. GKN is a global supplier of integrated powertrain components, systems, and solutions that itself has origins back to the 1850s. With its state-of-the-art technical centers, GKN works in close partnership with leading OEMs to develop, manufacture, and deliver solutions specifically designed to the needs of the ag market. Their R&D and agrotechnical engineering solutions ensures products are efficient, safe, 
and enable increased productivity of farm machinery. And for more information, visit gkn.com. So back to Don. Up next, we're going to cover founding principles, a surprise cold call visit that led to airline and military orders, and how he leveraged that new business to invest in the best production technology he could find worldwide. Let's get back to the discussion and hear more from Don Lambo. What would you say are your core values in running the business that you learned from maybe some earlier times or from your family, wherever that was from? Well, one of the one that's very, very important that I, I stress always with uh, groups and employees is uh, you build a foundation. A foundation is so, so important to have a solid foundation, whether it's under a house or under a shop or wherever, you know, under the family, under the banker, you know, uh, under the employees, you know, if you, because we're always going to have ups and downs, but with a strong foundation, it's always managed to carry us through. So uh, a foundation, and then uh, probably a second thing that I, I preach a lot is uh, one man's problems, another's opportunity. So whenever someone has a problem, usually there's an opportunity to, to, to solve that problem. And if that fits your line of work, why, uh, that's, a, that's a great place to uh, get started on you know, entrepreneurship. I mean, you, whoever can be the greatest entrepreneur in the world, but, but you still got to solve somebody's problem to be a successful entrepreneur. If you could talk about some of the diversification that you've, you've done that also um, allowed you to make major production investments in your facility. I know there was some uh, outside of ag that sure. you've done over the years. Sure, that's that's something we're very proud of. Uh, and that gets back to, my old saying was, quality is always a bargain. I started using that way back in the 60s, still use it. But, uh, you know, here we were, you know, building a quality product and in the 70s, they're much like the conditions we're in right now at the end of the 70s come to 80s, which now we're, you know, uh, as we go forward, we're in that same transition where that farm was so good. Anybody could uh, pretty much make it uh, farming or farm equipment. But then the challenges started coming on, and, uh, and, and that was a national thing in the early 80s. And uh, so we had a, a product at the uh, FMC Corporation had a manager out of the out of the Silicon Valley in California, but he grew up and was raised on a farm in, in southern Minnesota, and married his uh, wife, and she wouldn't come back to the Midwest, so he was working there. But uh, he came to uh, Kansas City to call on TWA, and uh, TWA uh, said, uh, you know, he got a good uh, talking to for not being able to deliver their product. And of course, that was a Silicon Valley boom at that super boom at that time because they couldn't hire help, and they also built for the military. So he drove a, across the uh, interstate into an implement dealer shop, insurance dealership, and he said, "You know, somebody building farm equipment has got to be looking for something more to do." Mm. And uh, so, he, driving through the dealership, he, he seen a liked uh, our product from the window, got out and looked at our wells and. Uh, got on the phone and called me right from there. Oh, wow. And uh, he said, uh, would you like to build some P PCD trailers? That's the trailer they pull around under the uh, aircraft where they're unloading uh, aluminum containers. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, but I, I, I'm not sure we're good enough. And he said, well, you come to California, I'll show you how we do it. I'll come to, to Kansas and, uh, and look at your facilities. And we made a, a great farm relationship and he said, well, I'll do better than that. I'll spend 30 days here helping helping you build wow. the prototypes. And I, that give me an opportunity to go see mom on the weekends. Yeah. And uh, so that got us into FMC. Yeah. And then in uh, uh, four years later, 82 uh, or three, why uh, they uh, they got in trouble building aircraft, the icers, and uh, they went on strike. He called me up and said, you know, we got 10 machines here and half built. I want to load them on a truck and send them to you. If you find a place where we can assemble them, and anything you're short, why, I'll help you get the drawing, and we'll we'll make those parts. You know, you got the ability to make them, and and we'll get those units out the door and help us all. Yeah. And I did that, 
and then the second year we built 16, the third year we uh, built 42, and then the military came along and wanted 391 of them in, in uh, that was Thanksgiving of 1984. So uh, we were successful in, in putting that contract together, which uh, the single single order was 43.8 million, and in a bad farm economy, that was unbelievably uh, handy. Yeah. But that was a couple of years after the bottom really dropped out of it. Right. right. And then, uh, so. Uh, and all this happened because he spotted a quality weld on a, on a uh, parking lot that he clock. just happened to stop at. And, uh, you know, of course, then you had, we struck up the great relationship. We, we did such a good job building the ICERs that uh, we won the National uh, Award of the Year for Small Business Administration. And then uh, when we won that, that National Award, of course, that put us in the spotlight with the military and yeah. got to go back to Washington DC and get our awards and all but that that gives you that exposure that, yeah. that was so important and then uh, we came back home and we was doing such a you know a great job so FMC said well you're that good at it you build all of our commercial and your military so then we were building uh, commercial and military and uh, but we ended up building a little over 2,000 uh, military started out with a 391 and then uh, from that, why uh, everything uh, went well until the military changed the specs, and having a having a, a great relationship with FMC, a no compete agreement, we could see they were going kind of the wrong direction, and uh, we had a being we had a no compete agreement. Why we had the parts business as long as we wanted it, and with 2,000 machines out there, the parts business was much bigger than building basically a prototype machine. Yeah. But that got us into the military business big time, and and. Uh, not many people can say, but uh, since 1984, we've never been without a military contract up to today. So yeah. we're still, you know, you have your ups and downs, and that's why so many people fail, you know, in the military business. They, they do great for six, eight years or whatever, a contract runs out or product, they, they drop a product. And, and if, if they're not diversified, they're, they're pretty much done, you know. What could have, um, that, that's a great story. What, what could have the early 80s been for you had you not had the opportunity to get that business and make the investments, what what could have the early '80s looked for you otherwise? Well, it was obviously going to be it, it was tough for all of us. I mean, anybody in the business. Uh, but uh, but I was you know, always scratching. You know, it, uh, it's amazing how many things are out there when you, when, when you get your uh, foot under a gate that you can come up with, uh, and you know. And that's an error which people even have uh, find hard to believe sometimes. But in an era like that, if you got to break, if you can build something and break even on it, that's that way way better than losing. You know. Yeah. So if you, if you got you know break even time, waiting to uh, to get into some better times. Why? Uh, but it it, it it was tough. There's no no doubt about that. Like I say, you're looking for other opportunities. And uh, I'm going to get a call one day from a gentleman in uh, New Jersey. And uh, he said, hey, I just bought a used Lando trailer. And he said, you know, you got something that our industry needs. And I said, but you need to make a few uh, improvements and updates on it. And he said, I'm sitting here at O'Herald. He said, I'm, I'll get on the old airplane and fly out at my expense if uh, you're willing to listen to me. So uh, he flew out to Kansas and he said, you know, this, this, and this is what it's going to take to improve this product for the towing and recovery industry. The, the people that, they, because uh, the wrecker business is pretty much all family businesses, much like a lot of farm farm business. And uh, he said, we, we got too many ups and downs and we're looking for uh, that, that'll fill in. You know, I can do a lot of things besides haul broke down buses, but I, I can add things to it. But the, you know, the main goal was first to haul a bus. So uh, we, we jumped in there with both feet, and that was in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, ended up uh, getting into the Towing Hall of Fame with it. And to this day, uh, you know, we're a, a leader in that industry of uh, supplying them. But the interesting about trailers, uh, you know, we never stopped there. We've helped start two associations with the trailers. So, uh, so uh, in the trailer business, it's, it's been excellent, because, but when you're in that many industries, you got a lot of opportunities, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you're dealing with something. You, you get where you can deal with the majors, but you know, we started out with the mom and pop operations, and uh, 
and we're seeing the mom and pops in that industry even get stronger right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the main thing that the mom and pops grew them businesses to, to uh, and then sold them off uh, to the large corporations trying to take over America like some of our implement dealers are now. And uh, they found out they couldn't manage all those those local you know, towing recoveries 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week around the clock. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so now they're they're buying back or starting back over with their children. And of course, the first place they come is to, to buy trailers from us. To mm-hmm. uh, and then then the rental industry has gotten bigger since then. So uh, uh, people that are renting uh, the big rental yards. Uh, and some of them are huge. You know, we got one customer who bought over 500 trailers in two years mm-hmm. just for their own use. But what that's done is if, if uh, they don't have enough capacity to take care of their customers, the first thing they do is call a local touring and recovery to, to deliver containers for them. Mm-hmm. So, so that, you know, it's just, a, it's just amazing how many things you can hook together yeah. if, if you work at it and yeah. keep them open mind. Yeah. One of them I don't normally talk about, but... Uh, of course, dealing with the uh, overlying banks and all that takes a lot of money to be in this business. But anyway, our uh, accountant, uh, CPA, said, hey, you know, we need to have a, a meeting with a uh, uh, partner. And, uh, you know, he's about 120 miles away. You know, their headquarters about 120 miles away down in Salina. And Roy and I had the same company. Mm. But uh, they come in there and throw a bunch of figures out at me. And, you know, they say, you know, you realize that you don't have any money and you're, you're, you, ought, you ought to get out while you can get out. And uh, I looked at I looked at him and he, after this long, hour long <clears throat> of them trying to convince me why I wouldn't, couldn't make it. And I, I, I looked at that senior partner and I said, you know what, you've been to school too long. Yeah. You know, you don't understand the foundation. You don't stand, understand what we got to offer here. You, all you're looking at is dollars and cents. And, uh, and what a great motivator for, for, you know, I always say old German because all four of my parents were, uh, grandparents were all four German. So I, I said, you know, what a ma- and uh, walked out. And, uh, you know, and that's when, uh, that's when we got started building the, the uh, FMC or the de-icer mm-hmm. shortly after that, but so but that they, was the early eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but you, you know, but you, you know, you got to go to those people for advice, but but you can't let them make all your decisions. Right. I, I'm a true believer in educated. You know, but but most of those people, in, whether it's marketing, whether it's uh, uh, engineering, whether it's accounting, you know. Their specialty is—it's just one piece of the pie. It's not the whole pie. Right. So you got to uh, use common sense and keep that whole pie together. Great story. When you look at your ag product line, what what are the product innovations you're most proud of over the last 54 years? That is a good question. Uh, I, I guess I go back and try to th- go back to the beginning. Uh, the colder chisel was very, very, very big for us, and, and, and we did well with it. Uh, not only because we did well, but but uh, you know that was a, that was a major portion of our income, you know, during that time, and uh, then being able to work with Case, you know, at, you know, you ship them and you get cash, you know, get to get to check in the mail, you know, and shortly, and so that was a that was a, a very very big product, and then uh, and then we. Uh, we come along and in the finishing tools would just coming along and uh, so worked very very hard on, on getting the till-all built uh, and uh, the till-all was was an unbelievable tool it still is uh, the, the big challenge with with ag and in the it, it worked great in the, in the heart of the corn belt but it didn't work everywhere so it was still a two three state product uh, as far as High success. Uh, a gentleman here yesterday told me he, he's been running his for 19 years, you know, and uh, I'm proud of that. From not only that he's, but uh, and some of them buy every two years, buy a new one. But but the point I'm proud of is uh, we have a great, uh, we call it PDC, our parts distribution center, and with trailers and tillage, uh, our goal is to, to uh, support 40-year-old products. You know, up to 40 years old, and nothing bugs me worse than people tell you it's out of warranty or no longer supported. 
And as long as they got their serial numbers, uh, you know, whether it's on trailer axles or whatever, winches, what, we can, we can tell them what was originally on it. But the point is, when you take care of people, what the second thing that does is gives it gives your product resale value. When you got resale value, uh, you know that's that's high in their minds when they get ready to yeah. to, to buy their next piece of product. Yeah. Yeah. Very very big on quality. Uh, I mean, we sell Cadillacs, and, and and I tell people Cadillacs and Lincolns. Yeah, don't we also recognize there's a lot of Chevys and Ford quality products sold, and, and there's a market for that. No no, no hands down on that. But um, when you're uh, when you're selling a quality product, you got to deliver a quality product, and and that that in itself ties in with the uh, with the military, building military daily. All our material comes in is certified. We got the cert papers, you know. Uh, we got a full onboard, a full-time welding instructor, you know. Uh, you know. So my point being. Uh, that keeps the quality of our farm products because a product goes through the shop they don't really know whether it's a farm product or or, standard you know it's just quality is what they're uh, that's all they're looking at we've been in that era for 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 a lot of years really almost you know my lifetime as well uh where the farmers are getting bigger and uh and the uh the uh uh, farmers are are, uh, or the uh land or leadership on the farm is getting less so these people want to cover more and more uh, uh, property or fields and uh, but what 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 I'm leading to there is uh, there's a shortage of uh, labor on the farm yeah, big time and, and, and as well as everywhere anymore it seems but but so what do they do you know when, when they're out there planning in the spring, uh, who is the highest quality people on the farm? They're they're running the, the planters and the fertilizer equipment and possibly sprayers, but yet who's who's uh, doing that tilling the, the soil ahead of them? That's their re- semi-retired dad or their brother-in-law takes a week's vacation out of the out of the city or whatever. And so what? When you get to that condition, though, that 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 uh, retired dad and that brother-in-law come out on the farm to do one thing is drive. So if all they're going to do is drive, you got to have a piece of equipment behind them that doesn't plug up, that leaves it leaves smooth, you know, leaves a quality a seed bed, and uh, and uh, don't break down because uh, you know th- that isn't why they came out to drive yeah. to repair something. So with that in mind, that's that's how we are uh, uh, very successful against some of the majors. Yet they're willing to pay a, a premium for that. Mm-hmm. But you know. When a guy walks up and looks at our trailer and he says, you know, what's that going to cost me? And uh, our, our answer is nothing. You know, it'll make you money. And, and the reason it'll make, you know, number one, it's high quality to use. But during them inflationary times, we got people traded, you know, sold their used trailers for more than they paid for them and, and bought another new one. So we've kept that resale value. It's stayed very, very good for us. It, and there's, you know, like there's a lot of markets for secondary markets for a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, but that is getting to be a problem in the tillage equipment the secondary mm-hmm. markets because the big guys are now pr- pretty much br- pulling as big of equipment as we can get down the road legally so a big guy that trades in a piece of equipment the next big guy why do I want to buy his used machine I, I want a new one too mm-hmm. and, and so that that makes it hard to trade in the, uh, the, the large farm equipment today yeah. Tell us about the change from yellow to blue. Well, that was a, a big, big transition about uh, 12 years ago. And uh, as we talked earlier, we're just very big friends, uh, you know, with all our competitors as much as possible. Uh, Gerald Meyer was always a good friend, uh, friend at, uh, at uh, Sunflower, and, and I could go on and give you a litany of those people, uh, the M&Ws, and, and on down the line to George Schumacher's. GBs, but uh, but uh, that friendship, uh, as we talked about a little earlier, being a diversified company and, and being diversified, uh, we've been we've been profitable, you know, and above average probably for a lot when of you people. Get diversified that much, uh, you take a, a, a big pride in uh, in staying profitable. Obviously, you need to. 
so, so with the tillage being so competitive and that, that we, we lost market share. But when we're when you when you're building umpteen million dollars worth of the ice, why do you want to take a loss on, on building a tillage product? And and when we always knew that was a ch challenge, but but there wasn't no simple answer. So uh, so then as uh, we got down in there and. Uh, Sunflower, uh, you know, who, which was owned by numerous uh, holding companies over the years, great, great competitor. Uh, but anyway, uh, when they sold out to Agco, why uh, they laid, you know, all but all but one, the sales manager, and uh, they laid all the rest of them. You know, hey, we're going to sell this product through our, our uh, normal uh, sales distribution system. Very, very uh, logical, understandable. But uh, and Gerald and he was going to take retirement, and, and Jamie and he called me up, and we had a little couple of meetings. Hey, you know, we got some some of the best tilly salespeople out there. You got some of the best product out there. We can enhance you. You know, we know how to enhance your products. Uh, so, uh, in after about a four or five month uh, discussion there at, at, during the transition, why? Uh, we hired nine nine salesmen in one day from yeah. of the ex Sunfire people that were getting laid off. Well, eight were getting laid off. So that's so. Then after we uh, okay, now we got we got two new challenges. You know, uh, can you sell enough and can we build enough? Mm -hmm. And that's when we started the shop fifty uh, building. Uh, so so I mean, we were just nip and tuck. We actually been on uh, build on three times onto that, and of course bought a lot of equipment. But uh, hey, if if we're gonna if we're really gonna make this happen, and and uh, what are we gonna do to the farmer that he understands that there's a difference? Mm -hmm. Well, we all agreed maybe the quickest way was color. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, of course, we didn't want to go with major colors, and and, and our short line friends were, have been successful with blue. We built product we uh, from Onisem for a number of years. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're a supplier to them and. So that's how we we picked the color of blue. Now we now we decide what shade of blue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, so that and then uh, it's turned out to be a, a, a very good relationship for us. Yeah. Something I wanted to, to go back to, and it was it was something that I observed for you during the uh, the anniversary back in 2013. Um, you led a tour of the the entire place, a couple hundred people there, as I recall where you stopped at each machine, introduced the operator, talked about when the machine went into service. I've never never seen another CEO of a company your size do that before. But for the people who have not been to to Landall, how, how would you how could you describe the the manufacturing element, what what they would see if they went on that tour with you? Number one when, when especially when we built started our last expansion there after the uh, why, you know we, our goal was to build a, the highest quality manufacturing plant, uh, tillage manufacturing plant in America. And if we're the number one in America, I say most likely we're the number one in the world. And uh, we set out to do that. And uh, to this day, uh, we've never been challenged. But, uh, but we started out, most people do things, don't recognize when they're short of welders or whatever. They start on the wrong end. All I got to do is buy a robot, and I'm in. You know, I've got rid of a welder. Well, it's totally backward to where where you need to do. You got to start out with the with the design of the product, and then you got the product, and then after you got the product, you got, you got to have people uh, understand tooling well enough to build the high quality tooling. Tooling. So then, if you got the high quality tubing, why you can build a quality product every time, pretty much. So, so, uh, so that 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 was a theory, uh, and and we got around, and nobody wanted to build me a big robot. I mean, I went to a couple of people, uh, and they said, oh, you know, that's an unattainable goal. And I said, well, I'm going to go home and we'll build our own. And I took three or four people, and, and uh, we built built our first big robot the way we wanted to do it, and and uh, it was so successful that the Japanese had five people over here wanting to. Wanting to see what we, you know, we're here to help. Well, I said, yeah, you was nowhere around when we started. Yeah. And I, uh, so the only thing they did after being there was change the color of their arm to match our blue. So our equipment was blue. But, 
but then we built three since that time and, and, mm -hmm. and get along very, very well. So, uh, but we, we have a, a total of 30 robots out there welding. But, but then with the laser cutters and, and all that, I mean, we're a vertical integration. We believe in bringing plate and tubing in the door and shipping out finished products. And that's where the military fits in again uh, well. Uh, when, uh, when we buy a, we get a major military contract, uh, you know, being privately owned, we don't have to worry about the budgets and all that stuff. We go out and buy the best equipment available, and not necessarily to just what we need, but, but, but what we can afford, because mm -hmm. we don't know what the next job is coming in behind it. You know, I've done that a lifetime. And then uh, uh, when, when you do that, why, uh, you build that military contract, you know, you, you know we built 1,785 military wreckers, you know, and, but the day you got done with them wreckers, you had the best uh, equipment in America to build your everyday tillage tools mm -hmm. and, and trailers and whatever. So that's a, that's a way of really getting the quality of your equipment up. And then we worked very hard, and I feel we've been very successful with it, is uh, research very, very carefully. So, you know, whether it's going to Europe, going here, going there, you know, uh, our powder line, I think I went to 16 different companies powder coating, you know, 17, 18 years ago before we started powder coating. So you, you, you get the best from, from everyone. Uh, the the uh, relationship we have there, uh, anybody that uh, plant we tour, you know, they're, they're free to tour ours as well. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so we have uh, the majors in, in that coming in the tour as well. You know, as long as, uh, you know, we can go to them and they come to us. So, you know, continual challenge, especially in these kind of times, is, you know, getting the volume. There's so many product combinations today that uh, it's hard to be able to deliver everything instantly. But, you know, of course, you always try to get stay in that three to four week period, if at all possible. But. Yeah. And you've described a number of things that are different than what we see in, in other uh, independent companies like this. But, but one of them that sings out is that you're using your own engineering and problem-solving expertise to put onto the manufacturing process, not just the Sure, the very much so. Is that, uh, that something, is that the area that uh, most revs your motor the most? What, what, what is it that uh, excites you about getting out of bed every morning? Well, I'm, I still enjoy the shop in general. Mm -hmm. You know, we, uh, uh, we, we got our own land. Uh, we got our own 600 horse tra uh, quad tracks, uh, smaller tractors, but, but you know, where we can go out and test whether it's the right or wrong thing to do on the farm for the period of time. Uh, you know, my son Phil heads, heads up a lot of the testing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you just, just got to do those things because being a, being a, what I still consider small manufacturer, you know, is, is getting to the market early is still where you get to, where you get that foundation we talked about a little earlier mm -hmm. you know and then if you got that foundation uh, and, and, and willing to give service because whenever you, you get on a product and get out there a little bit early you're going to have some challenges mm -hmm. and uh, so we, we got people go go anywhere and, and update our product if need be some of the prototype stuff or early early runs and right talking about you know we, we went through some of the history here today um, you guys must be the biggest if uh, among the biggest or the biggest short line equipment manufacturer in, in America I would guess could in today's environment knowing what what you know and what you had endure then could could it be done today that's a that's a question I, I get asked time to time I think it certainly be, it could be done but yeah it would be a challenge and, and, you know, the number one challenge is, is probably people. The number two challenge is, is insurance for those people. You know, the day with, with product liability and that the way it is, you know, you got to have a pretty good foundation to get insurance to, to give you product liability. So, so there, there is some major challenges where we weren't smart enough to know what them words meant, you know, when we got started. But, uh, but they're very recognizable today. and, and uh, but it's, uh, it's like I said earlier, you'd have to set one goal at a time and work that direction. And then there's regulation, which is much more stringent today, and, and the distribution challenges that the industry has today right. too, right? Yeah, well, the, the large dealers, is, is, uh, and, and, and it's always been a challenge somewhat. 
you know, we're still way more flexible than the majors and things like that. And uh, in, in, it's just obvious you just don't see much uh, uh, tillage products in that on dealer lots mm -hmm. right now. So everybody's expecting that instantly. And, and, uh, and, and when you add that to the, all the different sizes, you know, not only the multiple different products, but then they come from, you know, anything up to, mm -hmm. in our case, 52 feet or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so there, there is a, a lot of challenges, but the main thing is uh, uh, if we can be supportive to that dealer, you know, uh, get it there on a timely basis, uh, of course, do the guaranteed service. If he's working with us and then, uh, and then uh, you know that uh, all our salespeople are geared to sell quality and, and, uh, and, and hands-on uh, 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 setting the machines in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, we're willing to, we're not only willing, we do that with many, many of our machines that we're, we're out there right right with alongside the salesman or uh, dealer salesman or whoever. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, so, and that's, that's well recognized. And then, you know, the majors, you know, they still got to recognize uh, that they want every farmer they can get coming into their door. And if, if they can't supply the product, and uh, they, they can get the product from us in a lot of cases that, that the major don't offer the same product. Mm -hmm. So so there is certainly some uh, support for the major allowing their dealers to handle it. That was my next question. I was going to, and you and I have talked about this topic before. Tell us why we need, the ag industry needs a, a healthy, innovative, independent short line segment to it. Well, if we're going to progress, uh, you know, the major competitors have never been a leader in innovation. They, that's that's not part of their their goal, and and their their major goal is tractors, combines, and planters. No matter what line you want to take, and uh, so if, if they're going to come up with these these products, and certainly uh, a lot of like I said, the till all that you know, they're small area products. Mm -hmm. Why uh, you know they're never going to be able to service that industry. I mean, successfully, you know. And uh, when you look at what percent of the uh, of, of the big boys' uh, income comes from uh, from uh, tillage, it'd be very small. So, uh, so there, there's certainly a need, and, and to go forward, why there's always going to be a need for innovative products. And I just the, the weed control right now, you know, the seed bed, you know, the high speed. Since we got machines as big as we can get down the road, whether where do you go next? You know, with speed. So now it's a matter of how fast you can go and, and still leave that proper seed bed in order for that farmer to cover more acres. So, so those are things that, uh, for them to sell their planters, they need need people like us on yeah. the front side of them yeah. preparing that seed bed. Yeah. Tell me about the uh, the family, the, the the family that you have in the business. So we have Phil here, but talk about the uh, you know the family element of Lando. Well, it's a big. Uh, we got a lot of family. But um, my, I got uh, Phil and, and uh, my daughter Paula. They're 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 in the business every day. Mm -hmm. uh, they're full time employees. Uh, so so they're involved. Uh, my uh, my brother is the longest term employee. He he's he's hit his fifty year mark as an employee. But not only him. We we got a lot of employees above twenty five years employment. Just a, a big group of them. But. Uh, We've got a lot of nephews and cousins and all that as well. So, mm -hmm. and and when when you do all that, uh, you know the major challenge in in, in that in, in whether it's family or, or employees in general is is uh, we're we're very very big. You know we're a profit sharing company. We're we're very big on on uh, escalating people. You know moving them up. But 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 there's certain uh, you know people uh, there. Don't have no desire, or some of them have a desire, don't have the uh, ambition and that to uh, do what it takes to move up. Mm -hmm. So it's a real juggling act that you don't move someone up uh, that can't handle the job. And on, of course, on the reverse side, if if they can handle more, they should be moved up. And and uh, so that's that's something you you look at every every day, trying to keep 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 the company growing from the right. bottom up. Uh, uh, I've never had much successful in bringing in professional people from the out, or, you know, from the outside, you know, because we got such a relationship with the people inside. Yeah, homegrown. They know your culture yeah. and values. Another question that um, you and I, something that we share commonly, is FEMA. You were a, a 
president of the entire organization, very active as a past president. We've been in a lot of a lot of board meetings together. T tell us about uh, a little more about what FEMA has has meant to your your ability to do what you've done in this industry. I've only missed a couple meetings since 1974, and I belonged a couple years before that and didn't have time to go like a, a lot of current small FEMA members uh, to, to take in the convention. I got on the board in the early 80s there and during the tough times. Uh, but that allowed me to move up faster than normal because we had a number of people went, you know, out of business in that era. So uh, 1991, I was president. But, but uh, the big, big thing about, uh, you know, being in the, in the association or in the, in the leadership of the association, uh, the time we spend and the relationships you build with the other board members, and generally speaking, they're all, you know, quite successful companies uh, as a whole, you know, fits your, your taste. And, uh, and then I, uh, I have no trouble, uh, you know, giving back. If once you're president, you can go to a board member, uh, a board meeting forever. And uh, that, that allows some, some, some leadership to go in, but then it also allows us old timers to, to give some advice. Last question, what's the next 10 years for, for Landall look like? We all wish we knew, you know, it's, it's a transition period. Uh, from day to day, you know, you, you don't know for sure, you know. I mean, obviously we got some leadership set up going forward and that, but uh, I've seen so many failures and people trying to bring in outside leadership because the first thing they want to do is do it their way and they don't understand what, what built the company or, and the people around them don't know they don't know what built the company and so I've uh, brought in a couple and got rid of a couple of those kind of people trying to do a, do a little higher level uh, leadership but uh, but on a, it's uh, and, and, and you know it's no secret not and I, I, I don't converse with them but a company our size we get letters two to three letters a week people you know these holding companies are, are you know uh, there are just tons of people out there looking to, to buy up yeah. something yeah. emergent and, and I can give some prime examples where but to where them big companies come in and ruin ruin 50 year old 70 right. year old companies and you know that's it, not going to happen in that, well, that, Syria. I don't don't plan on it. Nothing's going to change. Is is a word used widely, but it's seldom stuck to. Anything I didn't ask you about that you want to would like to share in this conversation? No, I I think uh, you know we're in a great industry. Uh, not that it's not challenging. You know, not that it doesn't have its ups and downs. Uh, but uh, but for anyone. Uh, Young or whatever, young being you know new in the industry or whatever. Uh, uh, the two things that, that I really put a lot of uh, faith in is our uh, vertical integration and diversification. You know those two words in common sense. You add common sense to that. Mm -hmm. Why, uh, you know that's what it takes to hold it together day to day. Yeah, yeah. good. For so, us. <laughs> so if I if I walked around the uh, the FEMA group and we've got a lot of uh, common friends here. If I asked one word to describe Don Landall and your way of doing business, what do you think most would say? That's a good question. Well, I feel I've always, uh, you know, willing to, to be supportive of them, uh, whether it's my employees or the FEMA members or the salespeople from FEMA members. Uh, uh, I feel Personality-wise, I have not changed that much over the years. So, I would I would like to think that, uh, that most of them would say that as a friend, and, and uh, you know, I know him, but I you know, uh, it's, it's like anything. The number of people we got involved, and we go to FEMA. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that question. Be my observation is, is I hear about you opening your plant to virtually anyone who wants to come learn about how you're doing that. That's a common thing I've heard. Um, I remember at your, uh, we, we've talked about this for years in the supplier meetings, but uh, it was shared by John Brown at Meyer Springs during the uh, anniversary party that uh, you have made time to, at every one of those FEMA showcases, walk around to each and every booth and, and shake the suppliers' hands and, and, and thank them for supporting the, you on the manufacturing side, right? getting the, the, the products to them that 
uh, you can carry forth out to market. That that I don't know if you know what a big impression that's made, but I can tell you that means a lot to those guys. Yeah, and 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 I'm there to learn as well. You know, you know, you never know what new little gadgets coming up, and and uh, you know, I still. I still head up most any tour of any size. I head up. I mean, we got a lot of ones and twosies that Phil does or, or someone else does. But uh, as far as groups, uh, we we enjoy uh, you know, and hopefully uh, we'll inspire them to, to do better for for all of us. Yeah. A big thanks to Don for sitting down at a very busy farm show and for sharing his story with all of us. I'd like to again recognize and thank our sponsor, GKN, for helping make this podcast series possible. And I look forward to your feedback on today's podcast, so please email me at mlesseter at lessetermedia.com. This series is a work in progress, so please let me know your thoughts or additional subjects or questions you want asked in it. Remember to keep up on Farm Equipment News by registering online for our free daily email update and newsletter at www.farm-equipment.com. I also hope you'll sign up with iTunes or your favorite podcast channels to be alerted to the next episode in two more weeks. It's another insightful one from another legend in farm equipment. Also want to extend a special thanks to Jeff Lazeski and Joe Kinsley of our multimedia team here for the liftoff on this new and exciting project. Finally, on behalf of GKN and our entire staff here with Farm Equipment, thanks for joining in today on the one-on-one -on -one conversation with Don Landall of Landall Corporation. Till next time, Mike Lesseter signing out on episode two of How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs.